Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and a soul healer. I'm joined today with Amazon Latie. Amazon Latie is a dynamic force, celebrated for her global impact as a speaker, LGBTQ advocate, athlete, and leader in cultural change and social justice. As an unrivaled Asian LGBTQ athlete with six international LGBTQ sports ambassador roles, she fearlessly dismantles barriers. Recognized by over 30 international organizations, including the Human Rights Campaign and GLAAD, Amazon earned the title of Honorary Citizen of the State of Georgia for her impactful advocacy and community work in the South. Forbes magazine spotlighted her during Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, identifying her as one of the top six Asian women to watch. A luminary in diversity, equity, and inclusion, Amazon Latie commands attention as a sought-after guest speaker, advisor, and consultant for Fortune 500 companies, governments, and global entities. Her influence spans from the White House to the Prince's Trust, where she guides advocacy across human rights, DEI strategies, sports, and LGBTQ rights. A catalyst for cultural metamorphosis, her compelling dialogues unveil a profound journey from the homelessness to a global LGBTQ icon pioneering both Asian and LGBTQ equality. She played a pivotal role in President Biden's Out for Biden 2020 campaign as their digital advisor for LGBTQ and Asian communications, reinforcing a message of inclusivity and transformative change. In 2023, Amazon boldly etched her powerful narrative into the world through Florence Schechter's debut book, V, published by Penguin Books. This monumental step solidified her position as a prominent voice in the global conversation on equality and inclusion, leaving an indelible mark on the landscape of progress and acceptance. Amazon, welcome. I always think I haven't done enough, but when someone which <laughs> reads my bio out to me, I realize I'd like to meet Amazon Letty as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been excited to meet you for months now. What does enough mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it stemmed from when I was a child, when I started sports. And, you know, the discrimination and racism that I went through sports, particularly team sports, which was a very hostile environment for me. And then when I entered into the bodybuilding community at the gym and started learning about Arnold Schwarzenegger, someone who was very different and how he used this impact through sports. And so that became my one goal when I was a kid. One day I would make this massive impact through sports and I think because I'm such a high achiever, I always feel that what I've done is never enough because that big goal that I had as a child was so massive that the impact is infinite. It's infinite, but also your impact that you've already made is infinite. I mean, even if we're just meeting for the first time and you've already made an infinite impact on me. So I hear you. I feel the same way when I look at what I talk about is creating the balance between divine feminine, divine masculine that we've never had in this lifetime. That's what I look at. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot to do there. So I just try to take a step back and say, okay, on a daily basis, I'm achieving enough. And I try to, you know, have grace for myself, but I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. And that's when it's nice when other people read your bio, because then you can just sit in that space. That doesn't happen often. And as you were reading, I thought, God, I have really achieved a lot, more than the average person. But my goals are still so big that I'm still like, not enough. There's still something above all of that to achieve. 
Well, here's the good news. We're all starting to find each other on this plane that are taking all of those big universal, like literally like universe big or infinite goals. And we're finding each other to propel them. Maybe not even faster. It's not about time. It's like the more we find each other and by we, I mean the folks that are really impacting the change for humanity. As we find each other, those goals start to gel. And it's not saying that they're all the same, but they're all, and by virtue of us finding each other, they're advancing in maybe a broader or a, you know, a way that we didn't do on our own. So, And I love that way of thinking about things because I think sometimes when you're like myself, when you're an advocate, it can be very lonely space because you're walking, you don't have this team, you're a team of one and you walk into a room and think I need to make an impact straight away in terms of the shift in conversations that I want to make, the legacy that I want to leave behind and collectively we could do so, so more. And for me, you know, it's this lovely saving grace when I find others in the same space because it's that feeling that you're not alone even though we feel like we're working individually but we are working collectively even though we may at times not feel so connected to each other that's exactly right so if i may call you my colleague i would be honored so you're doing amazing things and i'm really happy to have you here today and to be part of the collective with you advancing humanity into what we know it can be Before we get started into the questions of the podcast, I actually have an interesting question for you. So I think you know about this about me, but I'm a workplace psychological safety advocate, activist. And one of the things that I was really jarred or upset about was from the Super Bowl game when Travis Kelsey shoved Andy Reid. And there's a lot of narrative around that's just football and that's just boys being boys. And, you know, Andy wasn't affected by it. So why should I be? But what I'm kind of struggling with is, to me, that's workplace abuse. I'm struggling between this. I understand completely that everyone has their free will and their autonomy. So if Andy Reid wasn't impacted by it, should I be? But I think it's like an and. I I can be impacted by that. What are your thoughts on that? I'm trying to really reconcile it. You know, it's interesting. There have been so many discussions around workplace psychological safety when we think of uncomfortable conversations, when there's banter in the room, where, you know, someone's making a racist or a sexist or a homophobic joke. And that person who should feel like that's going to be aimed at me starts laughing with them. And so others think, well, if Amazon's laughing at the racist joke towards Asians, surely it's okay for me. But other people may feel triggered by that because it can bring up past trauma and we just kind of say though you know that's just banter that we use that's just language that I was growing up with or you know boys will be boys then we're making excuses for bad behavior and yes as that sign says there's no accountability because then when we look at how that escalates into society in terms of going right off the track mass shootings or domestic violence or other things or when I think of the during the pandemic the Atlanta shooting and how the deputy came out and said the shooter was just having a bad day but it's for me that was so traumatic because it's 
a trauma to my community, trauma as an individual. And I think we have to have these conversations around accountability and what we see in society because we do this kind of work so often in terms of what does accountability look like in the workplace why do you need to be an ally in action if you said something or did something and everyone seemingly felt okay why do we still have to have that uncomfortable conversation and why are there still repercussions from it thank you so much I feel seen by you because I've been kind of sitting in this space where people that I really respect were like Amy, you don't get a say because Andy was okay. I'm like, I don't think that's true because that was a world stage. And Mm. imagine how many people, let alone young boys playing football, young little young humans that are like, oh, that's okay. Okay, cool. Let me go be that aggressive. So all I'm saying is that there should be some mindfulness or consideration, especially when you're on a world stage. And, you know, and, and Travis has come out the past couple of days and was like, yeah, I lost my temper. That wasn't cool. I love what you said. It gets to be both. Even though if the person receiving what have you isn't offended or there still could be a a ripple effect through others, either in the room or on that see it or experience it. Thank you. And also as well, just because that person said they weren't affected. And we know time and time again, that people are very afraid to actually speak their truth. Yeah, you're right. As well, just because they said that doesn't mean that they went home and felt humiliated by that moment in front of national TV or they did feel hurt by what others said in the the room. But at that moment, they didn't feel like they could say anything. So we have to take all those sides into account. That's You helped me feel okay about all the things I'm feeling. So thank you very much. So Amazon, What moves are you excited to be making right now? You know, I'm always excited about sports, even though at times it can be very tiring and sometimes you feel like you're saying the same thing over and over again for the hundredth time. It still excites me because of the way sport made me feel when I was a kid. And I love knowing that I can shift the conversation through the platforms that I have, if that's as an advocate or of an athlete or as a speaker or as an ambassador. I'm really excited for the years to come. I have three ambassador roles coming out that will be announced soon around major international sports events. So for me, it's just this it's, it's like a building block where I'm constantly being given the opportunities to build my sky rise to the infinite limit to be able to share the work that I love to do. And I also love a challenge as well. I mean, we obviously have very polarized conversations around sport, particularly around trans inclusion in sports. And I'm such a fierce advocate of the transgender and non-binary community because when I see a kid that's six regardless of race gender identity sexuality I I think of myself at six and what sport meant to me and if someone then took it away from me and said you can't participate in sport until you leave the state that may be in your 20s or 30s or you may never you know and by that stage you may have just lost the inspiration for sport I think it would have killed me inside in the sense that that was the one thing that I lived for 
And, you know, for me, that's what also excites me in a way of having these challenging conversations of how I can shift the needle in different ways and use this platform that I've created for those that don't have yet the voice. I am so excited for the three investor roles you're taking on. I don't know them yet. I'll uh, keep an ear to the ground. And you touched on this, but I imagine that you, you're part of many international conversations around transgender and sports. What are your overall thoughts? And you can go as deep or as light as you want to, but what does that look like? You know, when I think of sports, I go back into the history of sport, right back when the Nazis hosted the Olympics, when they didn't want Black people in the Olympics. And the same conversations that we're having around trans people in sports are the same conversations we've had around non-white people in sports, where Black people were banned in sports, where, I mean, women in general are completely policed around absolutely everything, but in sports as well. And I think we've head down this slippery slope that any kid that can run faster than you, any kid that has shorter hair, we will just go to the most polarized conversation and, oh, that kid must be trans because my kids lost against that kid. You know, there's this misinformation around sports that for me, you know, I sit at that intersection of gender, race, and sexuality. I know exactly what it feels like when you're that six-year-old kid stepping out into sports and sport doesn't reflect who you are and the sports community is completely against what you stand for and there's nothing that you can do about it and it's like we're using the same thing. Who is the next group of people that we can go for that everyone will rally around that's like 0.01 percent and that's the trans community because we can have a polarized conversation around bathrooms around sports because it's so polarized and you know it's that one step away from segregation in sports because hurting one community within the women's community hurts all women because now all women are policed and all women were policed in terms of how they got to the Olympics and everything. There's this really fantastic documentary that was in the Human Rights Watch called Category category Sport or Category Women. And it looked at how women have been policed in sports and like particularly in athletics about how all the African women are policed, Asian women, anyone who's seemingly faster than you. What I have learned through sports as an athlete all my life, it's not about comparing myself to anyone else. It's about every single time I show up and try to do the best that I can and better myself. And it's a mindset that I also have as well, that if you believe you're a great athlete, it doesn't matter who you compete against because you'll always compete against someone who's taller than you, faster than you, longer limbs than you. Then I go back into history and say, well, since the 1900s, we have had mixed gender sports in the Olympics. Paris 2024 coming up, we will have 20 mixed gender sports. There's probably not a person that you don't know that loves to watch the tennis open and see mixed gender sports and mixed gender, you know, singles and 
doubles. We don't question that. It's only when a trans woman gets involved that then we question biology and the science and the this and the that, which shows it comes down to transphobia and politicizing a community to deflect away from the most important issues. When you think about the average person, the average person, they've said in the US, has never met a transgender person, probably doesn't know how to fully explain trans, has no interest probably in women's sports, doesn't really care if you really ask them, you know, how does this support putting food on the table for your kids by excluding a six-year-old girl from the local sports team. It doesn't. It reminds me of when Supreme Court Justice Kentanji Brown was getting interviewed and she was asked what a woman is. What? It correlates to me a lot around just policing body autonomy in general. Men are never policed in sports. And we never talk about trans men in sports. There are plenty of trans male athletes at competitive level that are beating cis men. But because there's that undertone of men's masculinity, that no man is going to get up on stage and start crying or writing letters and say, I was beaten by a trans man. So we we don't talk about all, all of that. I mean, I have these conversations all the time in terms of like Leah Thomas, the swimmer. As soon as one trans person wins one random race, all trans people are dominating sports, which is not the case. But, you know, it's it's really hard to have conversations where when people have been so led by misinformation that this is becoming their identity and what they want to believe. But right. I think we need, to, we need to have the hard questions with them of how does this actually support putting food on your table by voting against a six-year-old trans kid playing sport? You know, you don't get kickbacks. Yeah. No, one, no, no one's giving you a $500 kickback from the government. <laughs> I would want to sit in front of them and say, help me understand what makes you feel unsafe about this. There's something about their safety and security that's being questioned because they've been, and this is how I feel about all of society right now, in the mass is that we've been skewed in the masculine for thousands of years, but specifically over the past hundred that it's become toxic. And many are so focused and only feel safe in the power, the order, the structure, the hierarchy, the binary, they only feel safe in those spaces. So with those people, and depending on the day, I might be that person to ask what can I do to help you feel safe? Many times I'm not that person, but to your point that I find resonance in between like what you said about how does this help put food on your table? And I would also say, what makes you feel unsafe about this? And having enough of an open mind to have an honest conversation without dismissing or shutting down or just saying no, we don't have room for no. There is no longer one right way. That's that's not what we're, that's not what the future is asking of us. And I love that question in terms of what makes you feel unsafe, because when we look at back in history, and now it's the LGBTQ community, but certain sectors of the LGBTQ community. And I, you know, I've seen it in other countries where there's just been a shift in community, 
and a shift in narrative. I mean, now when we look at the Gen Zs, particularly the Gen Zs, majority don't identify as straight. And I think a certain majority of the community over a certain age feel very uneasy about the Gen Z population in terms of how they communicate through social media, how they're so switched on, how they navigate spaces, the fact that sexuality and gender, they don't have the the rigid norms of the gender binary or the spectrum of sexuality. I can see the uncomfortableness in terms of race because, you know, I look at the Asian community, particularly in the US, we're the fastest growing community in the US. In 20 years, one in 10 people will be Asian. And I saw the same way in terms of how Australia over the last decades became very uneasy with the Asian community because they could see the explosion happening, but they couldn't stop it. And in some parts of Australia, one in two people are Asian. And you're right, it causes an unrest where the shift of structure is changing and what you held onto the power that you thought you have is shifting. Right, right. And then so like right now we have four big generations in in play right now. And especially, again, like I focus on workplace psychological safety and the pendulum, this is my opinion, pendulum swung so far into the one way. And that's what you're seeing more of like the baby boomer generation. And so by natural evolution, the pendulum swung back the opposite other way. And that is Gen Z. (laughs) And then like millennial and X are kind of in the middle of I'm just out here, like, let's all be human, you know, like, let's figure that out. But I I see that the strong pendulum swinging in either way, because it's needed to kind of normalize again, and not, not normal in the way where it's like a copy paste kind of thing. Normalize in the sense that we need all, we need everybody's kind of input and expertise. But in again, in a way where we're not dismissing or shutting each other down, it's like having a real conversation about what's happening every human and saying, how can we do this in a way that feels inclusive for everybody? Again, getting out of the one right way and getting out of the copy paste culture, as I call it. Amazon, what is the current state of your sports activism work as you look look ahead into 2024? You know, all the work that I do is, you know, how do you champion equality through the lens of sports? And we're in a completely different climate than I kind of say pre pandemic. You know, we've never seen so many anti-LGBTQ bills. I think now we're at probably 300. I've lost counts. I think it's like 320, 340. And this is like from beginning of January up until now. And last year we had just over 500 and that was for the entire year. So we're going to surpass that very quickly over the next month. Sport has become heavily politicized. We've lost the fun of sports where kids, you know, when you think of sports as a kid, you just want to have fun. It gives you a sense of community, gives you these unique skills. No six-year-old child is thinking of being an Olympian. It's like (laughs) 0.01%. And even I haven't got to the Olympics in all my years of being an athlete yet. You know, so (laughs) to kind of say that, one community is taking an opportunity from another community. It's like no opportunities are being taken away for six-year-old kids or 
teenagers. And at the end of the day, I always say it comes down to mindset. If you're a parent and you believe that your child's a great athlete and you believe that you're a great athlete, you don't care who you go up against because you will always compete against people that are better than you. If not, we would have the everyday Olympics <laughs> where we're like jury duty. People would just be randomly picked from society and that would be Olympics. And they, I mean, I actually think that would probably be fun. I think that would be- <laughs> trying to do like really difficult sports. I want to play kickball every day. You're a soccer player, right? No. Oh. Um, even though I do a lot of work around football, soccer, my sport was athletics and bodybuilding. And now I'm training in shooting, hopefully to start competing in shooting over the next year. With um, I, I would love to compete for my own country, Vietnam, at the Southeast Asian Games. And I'd love to have the opportunity to get to the Olympics. But I always think it's great to have these big goals. And even if you don't get there, it still makes you work hard. Yeah, I mean, going back to the original question around sports, I think it's just become much more challenging because there's so much more misinformation. There's so much money in sports. We're seeing major sports events go to countries where no one has any rights. And for viewers or fans to say, oh, you know, politics and sports shouldn't go together, we should just watch sports. It's like politics and sports have always been intertwine that's the reason why countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia are getting the major sports events so you know for me there's this challenge of having these uncomfortable and difficult conversations about well how do we look through the lens of equality when the world cup is potentially going to Saudi Arabia and how do we make sure that there's safety around different communities that would want to participate by going to the country I think there's been so many more challenging conversations. And I think it you know, definitely came from the US around the anti-trans bills in sports. You're seeing this wave across the world around exclusion in sports. And it just reminds me back to when I was a kid, how it made me feel of stepping out into the sport for the first time and feeling that, you know, for every step forward we take, at the moment we're taking three steps back as as well for kids that just want to have fun and participate in sports right the only thing that I kind of gives me peace sometimes when I get really overwhelmed at to your point earlier all the bills that are being created if humans like you and me weren't making progress or planting the seeds there wouldn't be all this hubbub or people feeling like they have to tighten the screws so on the days when I get really overwhelmed I'm like okay they're hearing us we're making a difference just keep going you know I never want to just like stop whenever something like a new limiting bill or law is passed I mean I I I have a visceral mental shutdown when Roe v. Wade got overturned and we keep going and we're you know just working on stronger bills to be passed in the future to help support it and codify it, you know? So anyway, that's how I think about it. Is there anything in there for you that, that you think about like the more mad someone gets, the more they're actually interested or they lean in? You know, I always think about the previous advocates and civil human rights activists. You know, when I think of Malcolm X and I think of Martin Luther King, I think of all the Asian 
advocates that stood in the time where it was even more difficult. With that kind of fear, you still march on. And we're living in a time where there is that kind of fear where parents are having to literally leave states knowing that their families and kids aren't safe. Ending abortion doesn't mean you're not going to have any more abortions. It will just mean that more women will die, more women of colour will die and be affected and there is that hope that when you divide so much that you will conquer because you will then weaken the voice but I know that it just has to make us stronger because that's what they want they want us to go you know what we can't do this anymore let's just give up and walk away and then the other side has won Amazon it's not happening it's not happening (laughs) we're here we're getting stronger awesome so as we start to wind down, what would you say, like in this uh, in this realm that we were just kind of talking about, what would you say to someone who is on the opposition, you know, and also the people that are wanting to join ranks with you and lock arms and let's move forward together? What do both kind of look like for you? I have challenging conversations all the time. And I realize I see it like a toolbox that if you looked into my toolbox, you wouldn't be able to close the box. I've got so many different tools at my disposal that I can use. Though I understand that there are some people that their toolbox is very thin on the ground. They may just have one tool and that's what I'm working with. And so with those kinds of conversations, and I think what really helped me has been community work and being an advocate in the Vietnamese community in back in Vietnam because it's not the easiest climate to work within. And they've got a, you know, most people, there have a very different set of tools that they're working with. And for me, I've always been able to rise to the occasion of a challenge. And I think that's been through my lifetime of sports, where I, when I've hit the wall, when I feel exhausted and I can't run anymore, but people are passing me, how do I pick my feet up and just go into the zone and keep going? And where's that narrative that will then spark the fire within you to have these conversations. Because I realize the LGBTQ or the Asian narrative or the woman narrative, for many people, that's not their narrative. But there is some narrative that you hold on to that got you where you are today. And then for me, it's like that investigator of As I speak to you, I'm also investigating your story to find a narrative where we both can connect. And we may not necessarily agree because the toolbox that I have took me years to get there. And you could still only be working with one tool. And after that conversation, you may have a tool and a half by that stage. But then if I found that narrative, and that's where I meet in the middle when I'm having these really difficult conversations. I use that power of storytelling and start reflecting back, like, what is their story? What narrative can I find within that? Then I can start having these uncomfortable conversations or difficult conversations where we can try and find a way to meet in the middle. And I think is also having that understanding, you're not, not going to be able to change that person in a conversation or overnight. You know, it also comes down to do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset as well? As long as I can kind of make a start. One of the greatest ways to have uncomfortable and challenging conversations is through the power of storytelling. And I always use my own 
story because it has so many different layers that I know that there's going to be a hook for someone. I always like to lead with, and you nailed this, it's like you're investigating. I try to be really curious. It does. It's more challenging to me when someone comes at me with something really egregious. (laughs) I'll be like, woo, I feel my sacred rage rising. And then I'll say, okay, how could I lean in with curiosity? And not ever suggesting that I'm trying to be naive, but I think about like where I grew up, which was the Midwest and cornfields were all around me. If I'm talking to someone from California, they may have never, literally never seen a cornfield ever in their life. Not naivety, but openness and benefit of the doubt. Okay, let me try this and understand where the origin of this is coming from. Is it hate or is it ignorance? And I say that from like a blissful ignorance, like literally like they don't know. They've never experienced that. That's where I get to as well. Amazon, I, I resonate with what you're saying because I try to meet them where they are. And if they're not willing to meet me and it's from hate, I'm just going to re- remove myself from that energy. <laughs> And then for someone who wants to find their voice and doesn't know where to start with activism, you know, for me, I had always one simple goal and I've stuck to it ever since the beginning of the power of storytelling, of sharing my story, because doing that, you are being an advocate for others by letting people know that they're not alone and by sharing your story, those are in, who are in positions of power can fully understand what it's like to live in that other person's shoes and to always know that your voice matters and one lone voice can make a difference. I mean, I look, I think of myself as a global advocate. I sit in front of corporates, I sit in front of governments, and I'm the only voice in, in the room that they're listening to. And I absolutely know that it makes a difference because even though it might be a government of a country, it's still an individual, one person sitting in that room from that country listening. I'm so glad you exist. Amazon, where do we find you? So it's amazonletty.com, my website, and then across social media at Amazon Letty. Awesome. Closing remarks as we wrap up. I love to always think you are the reason why the world continues to sparkle. Thank you, Amazon. Thank you.